Our second reading this morning comes to us from John's Gospel. Listen for God's word to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I had a great vacation. I'm, I'm happy to be back, but that week was just the ticket. It's exactly what I needed. So I had a, I was set up even before Thanksgiving. I was set up for having a good Thanksgiving service, uh, a good Thanksgiving. When I got back, um, I, Monday was still a vacation day. So Monday I went to the, um, I went to the, uh, Thanksgiving blessing and, um, it's always a joy to be part of that. This year, uh, 1400 of our neighbors in, in this area, um, received the food so that they could enjoy um, a Thanksgiving feast with the same dignity their neighbors did. And that just makes me very happy to be part of that. Um, so thank you for contributing the, the uh, uh, cranberry sauce that was a part of that. Thank you for, for those of you who served in that. Um, I think it was a great experience, and I think it showed the church at its best. Um, and then Tuesday night, um, I actually worked some this past week. Uh, Tuesday night, um, we had the Thanksgiving um, uh, community Thanksgiving service here, and that was great. And I think the secret is if I'm away, then things work well, and if I'm here, then they don't. So um, so it was great to come back and see everything just worked uh, perfectly for that. That was also a great experience. I didn't even have to preach. We had a new priest in town so or in, in our neighborhood, so uh, I didn't have to preach. So I just enjoyed it. And we raised um, in the offering, we, we, we have a tradition in, in the, the churches that are part of this, we have a tradition that we don't uh, uh, receive the offering for our own purposes, but for something in the community. This year's offering went to Lutheran Social Services uh, Food Bank in Spinard. So again, that'll be an opportunity for people in our community to, to be fed and to enjoy the dignity of, of food. So it was a great, it was a great setup. All of this was a great setup for me. And then I had Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving is good. And this year Thanksgiving was particularly good because I stuck to my diet mostly. Um, a couple of, uh, well, I guess it's been in October. I, I set up my next appointment with my dietitian, uh, to be a week before Christmas because I wanted that kind of accountability that I knew that, that the axe would fall, um, if I weren't good all during the, the holidays. And so, I made it through the first one pretty good. I gained one pound uh, since Thanksgiving Day, but I'm four down for uh, November, so I figure that's a good thing. So um, all in all, I had a good Thanksgiving week, and I hope you did too. But if you didn't, I have the formula for success. If you want to have a happy Thanksgiving next year, I have a formula. Let me show you the formula. This is the formula right here. Happiness at Thanksgiving. This is the secret formula. You can write it down. I left some blanks on, the, on your page so you could do this. This is the formula for happy Thanksgiving. It goes like this. Happiness at Thanksgiving equals two times the number of slices of pie you had plus Black Friday bargains. Okay? That's Black Friday bargains. So that's it. Two, two, two times the amount of pie plus Black Friday bargains equals 
thanksgiving happiness. Now, do you believe me? There, there's, there's two kinds of response. Well, there, actually, there's three. There, there's one response, which is maybe one or two of you are saying, that's exactly right. That is, that is the formula for happiness at Thanksgiving. So maybe you and I should get together and, and we'll, we'll agree on that together. But more than likely, what you did is you fell into one of two camps. You either, you either argued in your mind with the formula. You said that I got the formula wrong. Or you said there is no formula. So, for example, maybe you're in the first camp and you argued with the formula. Maybe you said that I left some things out, that what the formula should actually be is it should include um, it should include the NFL football games and it should subtract out any political arguments that I had. So in that case, the formula would be 2P plus B minus A for arguments plus games that my teams won. And if you have the number there, that's the amount of happiness you receive at Thanksgiving. So some of you would say, I just left some things out of my formula. Others would say, well, my original formula was right, but I didn't have all the factors correct. So for example, you might say it's not actually two times the amount of pi, it's actually three times the amount of pi. So um, maybe you'd say it's not it's not two, it's three. So you might argue with with the details. But then that leaves the other group. The other group that says this is ridiculous, there is no formula. It is random. You cannot predict whether Thanksgiving will be happy or not. There's just no way to tell in advance. It just is what it is. And there's no way to know beforehand that it is chaotic, that there is no way to predict. The word chaos actually means a void, the kind of formless void we heard about at the beginning of the story from Genesis. Chaos is when there is nothing, there's no firm ground to stand on. There's nothing you can stand on. There's nothing you can lean against. It's just random. Chaos is formless void. It is, it is something you can't predict. It is, it is unpredictable. It is random. It is unreasonable. And you would say about Thanksgiving, there's no way to predict it. There's things you can do and maybe they'll work and maybe they won't, but you just don't know because there's Uncle Fred, right? And he, is a loose cannon, or whatever it is, you'd say that there there is just no way to know in advance whether or not Thanksgiving will be happy. Well, it turns out that this is actually an ongoing debate, that that, that same debate has been going on for at least 2,000 years, almost 2,500 years, and um, what what it the way it plays out is there's people who say that you can predict things in the world and there's people who say you really can't you have to accept what comes and and there's nothing you can do about it so um the name of the of the of the group that says you just kind of accept it um in in the greek world they were called epicureans there was a type of philosophy called epicurean philosophy and they said there were no gods uh there was no deep meaning to the universe it just was what it was it kind of washed over you and you just accepted it. And if it was good, then you enjoyed something, you had some pleasure. And if it was bad, then you weren't happy. And so you tried as much as possible to, to seek out things that would be fun and to avoid things that would be painful. And that was Epicurean philosophy. I have to tell you, by the way, when, when I tell you about Epicurean philosophy, I did not study philosophy in college. When I got to seminary, I was always chasing behind the people who did. I studied uh, computer science in college. So when I got to seminary, I knew a lot about 
um, flip-flops and NAND gates and things like that, but I didn't know much about uh, philosophy, so I was always chasing behind the philosophy students. But Epicureans believe that there really isn't any any deep meaning to the world. You just it, it just washes over you. It, it 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 is what it is. You just accept the pleasure when it comes, and you endure the pain when it comes. You try to avoid as much pain. Try to seek out the pleasure. And I would say that is probably the prevailing philosophy in the West today. That is probably the most common philosophy that people have today. Um, you've seen it yourself. You've seen the bumper sticker, the bumper sticker that says stuff happens, right? Maybe it didn't say stuff. But you've seen this bumper sticker, this idea that it just is what it is, and you just kind of cope with it, you roll with the punches, you try to get through to the to the end, you, you have as much pleasure as you can, you avoid as much pain as you can, and that's all there is to it. There's no meaning. Life's a beach, and maybe they didn't say that word either, and then you die. That is Epicurean philosophy as applied in our culture today. And I would say most of the people you meet basically have a Epicurean philosophy. Now, in the ancient world, there was another philosophical standpoint, which was the philosophy of Stoicism. And the Stoics said, no, actually, there was a deep meaning, that the, the universe had a deep meaning to it. And if you could align yourself with that, then you could have a good life. That if you could just figure out how the universe worked, what the universe expected of you, and then if you aligned your life with that, you could have a good life. That was the way that Stoics saw the world. And our reading today is an example of a connection point between ancient Jewish thought and ancient Greek thought. We are now in the season of Advent. Advent is the time of preparation. The the word Advent actually means something is coming. And we think about Christmas is coming, like I told the children. Christmas is coming, but Christmas is the celebration of something that had come that people had waited for years and years for God to fulfill his promise, and ultimately he delivered the Messiah that he had promised. So something came during the first Advent. But Advent is also a season when we look forward to the thing that is coming. The one who is coming, Christ will come again in glory, we we say, at the end of the age. And so we look forward to that second coming, and we try to prepare ourselves. We have this time to repent and to make ourselves ready for Christ's second coming. So this is the time of uh, uh, preparation. And I think traditionally during this season, we read a lot of passages that have to do with that first coming. We read about the passages in Scripture that tell us about the way Jesus came. We might read about um, an angel appeared to Mary. Um, we might read about how uh, Joseph had a vision of, uh, of whether he should marry Mary or not. Um, we, we read about we read about these. These are kind of the familiar stories that that we use to prepare ourselves for our celebration of that first coming. These familiar stories about the angels and the wise men, the 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 shepherds and the star. These are the familiar stories, and they come from two of the accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. There are four: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of those familiar Christmas stories, the stories about how Jesus came, are from two. They are just from Matthew and Luke. The the third evangelist, um, Mark, he doesn't include any stories at all. For him, uh, the, the story of Jesus begins when Jesus is a grown-up. He doesn't have anything at all about that first coming, 
Or for him, I would say, the coming is when Jesus came and began his ministry. But John is unique. John's gospel, the way he tells us about the coming is he says, let's back up. Let's back way up. Because we don't want to get lost in the details. We, we don't want to spend all of our time thinking about those details, the wise men and the shepherds, the star and so forth. He says, let's stand back and get an idea of what the big picture is. So, so John's gospel is unfamiliar to us because it doesn't have those characteristic components that we're used to from the Christmas stories. But in it, we get a picture of what God is doing. We, we get this grand picture where we can truly see the forest and not get lost in the details of the trees. And so that's what we're going to be doing during Advent. We're going to be looking at John's account of the, the beginning of Jesus because he gives us this epic perspective of what goes on. And he also addresses the question that the Epicureans and the Stoics debated. See, John took sides in that debate. John said, some of you say that there's no meaning or purpose. The world is what it is. You just kind of cope as well as you can. Others said, no, there is a deep meaning to the universe. And John says, I'm with that group. John says, there is a deep meaning to the universe. So today we're going to look just at the first six words of John's gospel. So he begins um, this way. He says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. The word logos um, is the, the Greek word for word. They translate it as word here. But you notice they have a capital letter. The reason for that is there's another word for word. If you're just talking about words in a row, you know, words on a page, there, you know, he, he answered with one word. The sentence only had a few words, something like that. That word is actually a different word. It's lexis, um, which is not a car. It is, it is, um, it is a word. And when you have a lecture, when you go to a lecture hall, you're going to expect to hear a bunch of words there. But those are just words. When, when John uses the word logos, he means a much deeper type of word. He means, he means, what's the word on the street? He means, what's the good word? He, he's talking about word not in the sense of just kind of one, one unit of, of conversation, but he means, what's, what's the big idea? What's the story? What's, what's the reason? What's the purpose? For, for John, uh, the, the logos, the, the word of this kind means, help me to understand what's going on inside your head. You have reasons and purposes. You're doing things for some particular reason. And word is how you communicate that to me. Word is how it gets out of your head and into somebody else's head. That's the kind of word John is talking about. So kind of all caps, logos is a big kind of word. Uh, we, we see this in our own language whenever we, we try to apply our logical faculties, whenever we try to reason, we get words like this. We get archaeology or we get biology, we get geology, meteorology, zoology. Those are the studies of, of origins, the study of, um, of life, the study of the earth, the study of the atmosphere, the study of animal life. Those are kinds of logos. They are reasoning about what, what it is we have learned about the way the world works in the area of the earth or the atmosphere or life. Lagos is a deep word. Um, when you reason about numbers, some of you um, uh, of high school age might have learned the word uh, logarithm. It's reasoning about numbers. The word arithm is the first part of arithmetic, but logarithms 
are when you reason about the the way numbers relate to one another and the, the ratios between them all. And when you do that, you're being logical. So all of these words have to do with this kind of deep understanding of logos. And the reason John begins here is because he's saying, I'm with the Stoics. The Stoics are right. The universe is not just chaos. It is not just haphazard. It's not just a, a formless void. Something happened to give it meaning and purpose. He says, in the beginning was the word. Now, I don't know where I'm at here. So logos means word. And John is saying the universe is not chaos. John is saying the word is actually cosmos. The word, the world is orderly. And I'll give you a way you can remember the difference between chaos and, and cosmos. Um, if you get up in the morning, your face may be chaotic. It may be random and disordered. But if you apply some cosmetics, if you apply order, then your face will look better. This is actually where the word cosmetic comes from. It means to make something have order. So cosmetics are the thing that give order to what had been chaotic. And John is saying something did that to chaos. Something applied a celestial cosmetic to the universe and made it orderly. Now, so far, that's all he's said. But this this invites the obvious question. If I tell you that the universe has rules, then you would ask, says who? Who made the rules? Who enforces the rules? Rules imply a ruler, and he's not done. We've only looked at six words. John is going to tell us about the ruler, where the rules come from, and what do they mean. But before we go, let's just close out today looking at some of the implications of this idea that the world has order, the world has meaning, the world is cosmos and not chaos. So what do we take from this? What what can we take from the idea that the world has order, that there is a logos behind everything? Well, the first thing is, if you're a scientist, this gives you a job. This is this is actually what scientists do. Where did I put my book? Um, there's a there's a great book here. Um, I love it. Uh, this is I'm much more comfortable reading books like this than I am reading um, uh, books about um, uh, Epicurean philosophy. This is a book by Martin Rees. He is an astronomer. He's actually an atheist, um, and uh, he is the uh, or was at the time of the book. Uh, he was the astronomer royal, which means the queen looked at all the astronomers in England and said. I'm going to appoint you to be Astronomer Royal. And in this book, he says there are six numbers that are just numbers. Remember the, the equation, happiness is two times the amount of pi plus, plus the Black Friday bargains. And we could argue, is it two or is it three, right? And, and you'd say, well, well, it says who? Why is it two? Why isn't it one? Why isn't it three, right? We could have that debate. He says scientists have this debate all the time about six numbers. He says, no one knows why they are this way, but let me just read you briefly about one of them. There's six of them, all like this. He says, another number, epsilon, whose value is 0.007, I I like that number, 007, defines how firmly atomic nuclei bind together and how all the atoms on Earth were made. Its value controls the power from the sun and more sensitively, how stars transmute hydrogen into all the atoms of the periodic table. Carbon and oxygen are common. 
whereas gold and uranium are rare because of what happens in the stars. If epsilon were 0.006, or if it were 0.008, we could not exist. Stars could not exist. The universe would be unrecognizably different. There would be no atoms the way we think of them. He says, these numbers just are. There's no theoretical reason why it has to be 0.007 instead of 0.006. But it is 0.007 because the universe is orderly and it's reasonable. So if you're an astronomer, you have a, you have something to do. Go figure out all those, those numbers. But for most of us, what Lagos means is that we can make plans. That the universe has logic to it, that there's, there's reason and order to it. We can actually live our lives in such a way that we can make plans and we can say, I'm going to do this and I expect this outcome. I'm going to uh, plant a seed in the spring and I'm going to expect fruit in the fall. We can actually live a life that is more uh, b- filled with blessing because God has made a universe that is predictable. So um, our first one, uh, number four, Lagos means we can plan ahead rationally. We can use the minds that God gave us in order to to live with with um, uh, happier lives and to have fewer regrets because we saw something coming and we avoided it. So the first thing we can do is we can actually plan out our lives. But the second thing we do is it gives us a way of dealing with disappointment. Let's suppose we planted that seed and then we came back four months later and there was no fruit. Well, we might learn that farming isn't that easy, that there's more to farming than simply plunking a seed in the ground and coming back later to harvest. Maybe we have to water it. Maybe we have to apply fertilizer. Maybe we've got to scare away crows, whatever farmers do, I don't know. But we can learn. We don't simply shrug and say, well, see, there's no way to predict these things. Sometimes seeds grow, sometimes they don't grow. That because the world is universe, because the, because the universe is orderly, because the world has logos, we can learn. Even when things disappoint us, we can learn and do better next time. I, I, I've sometimes wondered, um, if this is why God doesn't answer our prayers. You know, I, I go to the hospital. Somebody's sick. I go to the hospital. I pray for healing. And I pray for healing no matter what's going on with them. They, the doctor is not, you know, kind of not happy with where things are at. It doesn't look good. I still pray for healing. I pray for God to intervene miraculously to heal people. But often God doesn't. God does not answer the prayers that we have. And Lagos gives us hope. When otherwise we would simply say God is arbitrary, God is capricious, God does what he wants and there's no way of predicting it. Lagos says, no, God has a purpose. That even when we didn't have the healing we wanted, God made the world orderly so people could study it and they could say, this doesn't work. Let's try this other thing. Let's figure out how we can treat this disease. God has such big shoulders He says, cast your burdens on me, and he will take the flack. He decides, is this a place where Lagos is going to apply, or is this a place where there's going to be a miraculous intervention? We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry. If I got all my prayers, doctors would have no idea what to do when you go to the hospital, because I always pray for healing. God says, I'll sort that out. 
You go ahead. You pray for healing, and I will sort out what to do. So Lagos gives us a way of dealing with disappointment as well as with success so we can learn new things and we can have hope when we don't get what we want. And finally, let me close with this. Lagos gives us a way to relate to other people. You know, John was not a Stoic. John was not an Epicurean. But John knew something because he had been a follower of Jesus. He had seen Jesus die, and he had been there and seen Jesus when he walked the earth in his resurrected body. And John said, I have something to contribute to the debate you all are having. He said, you Epicureans, you Stoics, I actually have something that would be good news for you to hear. But John doesn't say, let me tell you about Jesus. John doesn't say, become a Jew and learn all about my religion, and then you'll understand better what you've been debating. He says, let me come to you on your own terms. Let me connect with you in a debate that you care about. So he says, I have news about the Lagos. I'm with the Stoics. But more than that, I'm with both of you because I care about this debate that's important to you. See, John says, John himself quotes Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John says, if you know some truth, if you're even debating the truth, then you're on your way to an encounter with Jesus. See, the Christian life isn't about having the right theology. It's about loving people made in God's image, loving everyone who's made in God's image. And evangelism isn't about telling people something about Jesus. It's about giving them good news about the God who loves them. Lagos is hopeful. Lagos tells us that we can plan, we can we can work out our lives and not make mistakes just because there's no way of predicting what's going to happen. We can actually work out our lives, we can learn from our mistakes, and we can connect with other people because everybody has these questions. In the beginning was the Word, was the Lagos. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, O God, that this universe is orderly. Every time we we eat food that was harvested, every time a doctor performs a procedure, um, we give thanks that the world is a place we can learn. Every time we learn from our own mistakes, when we say, I'll never do that again, and we don't, we thank you, Lord, that you have made the world logical. And Lord, we thank you for this teaching from John who assures us that there is more to the rules than just rules, that they tell us something about you. And we look forward to learning more as we continue our study. We pray this with gratitude in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.